mama, I got bad news, bad news. I've been rolling with some bad dudes, bad dudes. I've been trying to get a bag. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Ashes to Awesome podcast, Rising and Recovery. Our podcast provides light, hope, and understanding about addictions and mental health to people living within that life and the people who love them. Today's episode is brought to you by Doctor Treatment Centers in Phuket, Thailand. They are a clinic run by clinicians, not a business run by businessmen. And they know that where addiction is the smoke, trauma is the fire. Learn more at yatracenters.com. That's Y-A-T-R-A-C-E-N-T-R-E.com. Hello, everybody, watchers, listeners, supporters of all kinds. Welcome to another episode of the Ashes Awesome Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck LaFlange, and with me in virtual studio today is Sean Young. Now, Sean is the host of Recover Out Loud. Uh, it's a podcast out of somewhere in the U.S. I can't remember what state. Sean, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. How are you? I am. I'm excellent. I'm, I'm in Thailand. I'm halfway around the world from you. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's only 9.30 at night. It's not even that late for me now. So, um, Things are things are kind of crazy here right now. And so, well, actually, they're the opposite of crazy because I'm at a trauma treatment center. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. Right. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, you know, it's, you can see if it's, you know anybody that's watching. I'm in a tank top, and I don't like. I normally I'll like put on a nice shirt for a recording. Since I've been here, I've been like, fuck that man. You don't even know if I'm wearing pants right now. That's where I'm at, right? <laughs> right. You don't know if I'm wearing pants, okay? No, I don't. No, I don't. I've actually thought about on our, on our weekend ramble episodes of uh, introducing a segment called Pants or No Pants. You know, maybe a prize if you guess right. You know, <laughs> and then I feel like there's a whole new podcast. Pants or no pants, right? There you go. Right? Yeah. So. <laughs> Talk strictly about pants and the fabric, and then, hey, am I wearing pants or not? <laughs> right, right. You know, you know, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, are you a fan of the show? Yes. Yeah. How he's like, oh, name of your sex tape. I've taken this thing on now. I'm like, name of your podcast. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 right. So, hey, listen, Sean, um, we were talking before the show. We're both of kind of the same mind. Um, you know, there's a bunch of things I'd like to talk with you about, but in order to do that, we got to get a nice a sense of who you are, right? So, um, if you want to kind of give us a, you know, actually, you know what? One thing I will never stop doing because I think it's it's a great line of questioning. Maybe start off with the first time you remember trying a substance, and I got a couple follow up questions to go with that, and then we'll just kind of get into your story if that works for you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the first time I remember trying a substance was. When I was 16, but I wasn't like really big into it. Uh, I went to a friend's house and it was like Christmas party. And he's like, hey, give me a choc or, you know, here's a chocolate. Try it. And it was one of the ones with whiskey in it. And I didn't know. Oh, okay. And and he, he was like, you got to bite it and then pour it in. And I did. And I was like, oh, this is disgusting. Right. And I didn't yeah. tell anybody, but I, I didn't really like continue. There's a time before that that I don't remember. And my mom left me with a bunch of people that were supposed to watch me, and apparently I killed all of her wine coolers in the fridge. It was it was wild. So, yeah, that's about the first time that I remember trying any alcohol. I'll be right back. Some weird alarm just started going off on my tablet. It's like waking up the whole fucking no center. One minute. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
It won't, it won't stop. It's great. <laughs> Crying. Oh. I don't even know what oh, the I'm fuck just, just happened. I don't know. I'm sweating. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sweating. That was so funny. It was like, just when you think it's over. Nope. <laughs> fuck me. That's so fucking loud. Right? And it's your like, reaction is... every time. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm not even going to edit that shit out. Fuck. Right? No, keep it. Uh, <laughs> fuck sakes, man. Fuck sakes. Okay. Woosa. Okay. That was not conducive to being in a trauma therapy center. That was not. That was horrible. Scarring. Oh, shit. Scarring. I'm, okay. I'm glad I could be of some entertainment to you, my friend. Uh, okay. That was the laugh I needed this morning. Stuff is off. So, hey, listen. Okay. Let me re ask that question again. Okay. All right. It's the first time you remember getting fucked up. Oh, first time I remember getting fucked up was my first yeah. weekend in the Army in active duty service. I was in Vicenza, Italy. And okay. uh, yeah, I made a promise to myself, and I've shared this on about every podcast I've been on. I made a promise to myself when I was younger that I would never drink, smoke, or do drugs. And I oh, broke yeah. two of those in the first weekend. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How'd it make you feel? Oh, dude. Uh, so I felt invincible, man. I felt like I was on top of the world. I felt, uh, I felt like, I, I felt like I fit in and like I belonged. You know what I mean? Yeah. So here's where the, here's where the question gets interesting and really interesting for you, because I don't think I've ever had this conversation with somebody who tried it so late in life, right? Most people are like, Oh, I was six years old and I was doing rails off a of stripper's ass. Right. But you're like, <laughs> you're like, you know, as an adult now in the army in active, yeah. so you've already been through some stuff to get to where you are yeah so the question i always ask is at the time did you realize what it was doing for you were you introspective enough at that point to understand that it was helping you fit in or helping you feel like you fit in or did no. that come down the road that came down the road you know i was I, I didn't I didn't do a lot of introspective work like looking at and saying like I fit in, but it was more like the longs of, along the lines of the more that I drink over time, like yeah. you know a more experienced seasonal drinker, I guess you'd say. Yeah. Um, and I was hanging out with people. I started to fit in because they were acting like assholes and I was acting like an asshole, right? Or birds they of would the feather, be out, right? yeah. yeah, birds of the feather. We flock together, you know. Or they'd be out out at the club dancing, and getting buck wild, and I'm out there doing the same damn thing. And so, uh, yeah, I, I didn't really notice it right away, but it took, and, and it took some time, but, um, the more, the more time that I started to realize like that I was fitting, fitting in the more I started to realize the crowd that I was fitting into and it wasn't a good one. Okay. 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 So that's, that's interesting. Um, it's about a 75, 25, typically people, yeah. one in four will say, you know what? Yeah, I knew, I knew what I was doing at the time and why I was doing it. But pretty rarely do people have that kind of insight into themselves until, until usually until yeah. recovery when they figure out what the fuck they were thinking, right? So, oh yeah, know, right? so yeah, yeah. So hey, listen, 
maybe just give us an idea of where, like, how is it that you get to a point where you're doing a podcast called Recover Out Loud? Like, what's mm-hmm. your story that gets us here? And then, and then we could talk about some things, right? So uh, the short version of it, because it's it's long, I can sit here and talk about details for hours. But um, the short version of it is I suffered childhood trauma um, from everybody in my life that was meant to show me love and support and teach me the vital lessons as a child of, of, you know, what love is, what trust is, um, how how to do X, Y and Z, you know. And so I, I suffered childhood trauma from, you know, from them. And then uh, really bad with my dad, really bad with my dad. And then I enter into the army and uh, I start my addictive behaviors. I go on a few deployments and those deployments, obviously, if you can just imagine, if you've seen like seen some movies, you can kind of get an idea or a general gist of, of what it was like. Yeah. And uh, things, you know, there's some traumatic experiences there. There were some unhealthy behaviors that surrounded you know those deployments I mean, and then that, that's a culture thing i imagine in, in the armed yeah. forces so that would be yeah yeah, yeah. well yeah. It, it really all depends i mean like for me I, I liken it to like this you know my first deployment i didn't care if i lived or died because i had nobody to live for right and i put my value on other people and, and i put my value in what other people thought of me and um so therefore I had, you know, my family was out of my life at that point. I didn't have any significant other. I was eight, 19, 18 years old, 19 years old. I didn't have shit to live for that I, that I could see. And so, uh, yeah, I would, I would take extra measures, you know, or, or do, or, or live in, in more of an extreme, uh, mindset, like standing up in, in a firefight versus being under in cover, um, leaving cover, leaving concealment. Yeah. Just, I didn't really care, dude. Like it was the first time in my life that I was ultimately like, I don't give a shit. I've had suicide attempts or suicidal ideations as a kid, but nothing like that. Nothing where I was like going to extremes. So what about the guys around you in a case like that? Like Mm -hmm. your, your brothers at arms or whatever, you know, your people, what are they saying? What are they doing when when Um, pulling shit like that? You know, Really, at the time, they started to hate me because I was putting everybody's life at risk, right? Like, yeah, I wasn't just putting mine at risk by by being out and, and standing up and doing shit like that. But I was putting them at risk because if I got hit, they would have to recover my body. And then yeah. that would leave them exposed, right? So, like, I was a dickhead. I was a dickhead. And I was very selfish. And I didn't – but I, I didn't care, you know? And so every, every deployment – I've been on four deployments to Afghanistan – Every deployment, um, I, I would get back and within a half an hour of being back off of the bus, back in my room, I was drinking. and uh, But it, it was like I was picking up where I left off a year, 15 months prior to that. So there was no like gap in time, lapse in time. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and my, my third deployment was probably my hardest one. I watched my best friend get blown up uh, in front of me and uh, all, it, it happens, you know. Um, and I, within, within like half an hour of him, of him, you know, getting hit, he, he ended up dying on the aircraft when we, when we got a medevaced out and that haunted me for like 10 years. Right. And that coupled with, with hereditary disposition of addiction really started putting me in this downward spiral. I, it started affecting all my relationships. It, It started affecting my performance at work. It started affecting my health. You know, I had traumatic brain injury from being a paratrooper jumping out of airplanes, being close to concussions, being close to uh, explosions, 
um, having hit an IED in a truck, just like life became unmanageable in 2018. Um, yeah, the army was like, Hey man, sorry, you, we can't use you anymore. You're, uh, you're not repairable. So they were in the process of medically separating me and my life like kind of turned upside down. Right. And like, I was losing a marriage. I was losing my job. Um, my daughter, she was, she was already, you know, halfway across the world with, with her mom and, and her stepdad. And I, you know, her stepdad's the one of the greatest human beings that I've ever met in my life. And, and, you know, so, so I was like, she's got a great stepfather. She don't need me. So I attempted to, like, I, I had an attempt. I, I drank enough. I drank about five bottles uh, within a short span of time. And, and I ran my truck into a tree at 70 miles an hour. And like, yeah, the engine block was like that far from me. And, uh, yeah, when I came to in the hospital, um, I didn't want to be alive. I was like, I was like, see, I, I, I'm such a failure. I can't even kill myself. Right. (laughs) And, and, uh, and I, I just got to this point, man, where like, um, I realized that that shit was bad and and the way that I'm thinking is not great. And so I checked myself into a mental health facility and it was good. You know, I, I spent 11 days inpatient, 11 days outpatient. It was awesome. I learned great things, but uh, that didn't stop me from drinking. It really only, uh, it, it was a buffer until the next time. And the next time was the last time. And the next time, uh, July 4th, 4th of July, for anybody who's, you know, doesn't live in the States, yeah. Independence Day. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I fed myself the lie for the last time. And I said, I can, I'm good enough to drink or I'm okay enough to drink. I took, uh, you know, that relapse lasted six, uh, six months. In the back end of six months, I, I, uh, I had an incident that led me into jail. And yeah. when I was in jail, I, I blamed everybody for my problems. Right? I blamed everybody. And uh, this this old native man was in jail with me, and he looks at me. He goes, "You created all your problems. Once you accept that, you'll be okay." And I shit you not, like December twenty seventh, he said that to me. At first, I was kind of like in denial. Where I was like, "Man, who the fuck are you to talk to me like that?" Like, yeah. and right, right, like that defense mechanism. And then. Uh, I really sat with it. And I thought about it, and I was like, "Yeah, man, he's absolutely right." And when I when I thought of, you know thought about it, and I sat there and I just ruminated on it, I, I accepted. I said, "Yep, I did all this, all these things in my life." And that moment, that moment when I re- when I accepted it, I got a tap on the cell as the corrections officer. He said, "Your bail got posted. We're waiting on electronic monitoring to come, and you're out of here." And. Uh, yeah, dude. And it, it was just like that thing, that thought of acceptance. Now, had I not accepted it, I, I don't know what would have happened, but you I was out, in that. You, you're a jackass again as soon as yeah. you get out or shortly after, right? Like, Oh, yeah. Of course. Of yeah. course, right? And yeah. Yeah. so I, I enter I enter into recovery, man, and like uh, I entered into what's called a drug court or a therapeutic court where I, I was accountable for everything. And yeah. uh, I was accountable for my actions, accountable for the actions I didn't take. Um, I had to take care of my mental health. I had to, you know, maintain my sobriety. Now, quick and then on the back end of- One of the best ways to reduce stigma is with education. If you still have questions that we haven't answered on today's show, you can learn more about Together We Can's education group at twcrecoverylife.org. Hey everyone, this is Ryan Bathgate from Kaleidoscope Wednesdays. I wanted to bring a public service announcement to you today about Narcan, or also known as Naloxone. These kits uh, have saved so many lives over the years. Uh, I can attest for that. Uh, being in the industry for so long, I can tell you since we've had the opioid crisis, 
declared in 2016, it has saved thousands of lives, and I've watched it personally save hundreds of lives. These kits are small, easy to use. Uh, you can keep them in your glove box or uh, or in a cupboard in your home, and you never know when somebody's going to need them. Uh, if you have a hard time finding a Narcan kit in your area, just email us here at Ashes to Awesome Podcast at gmail.com. Throw Narcan in the subject line, tell us where you are, and we'll do the legwork to find that for you. If you wanted to send me a question for my Kaleidoscope Wednesdays, again, email Ashes to Awesome Podcast at gmail.com. We will read that question on air, and I'll do my best to answer it in a comprehensive way. Uh, that's all I have for now. Uh, we'll go back to the show. Thanks for listening. I had to, you know, maintain my sobriety. And then on the back end of that, after I graduated, I ended up uh, getting into, into peer support. So I became a peer support specialist, and, and that was fun. But I wanted something where I could connect with people around the world. And I started my show um, in last year. And when I started, it was sitting with Sean. And then it evolved. And I always, I believe that as creatures, we have, like human beings, we have to evolve. We have to change. And you and I spoke about that the other day. And, uh, and, and so, so for me, I had to take it and, and evolve it, right? Because recover out loud, living in, in, in recovery and speaking about it, you know, yep. being so open about it and being vulnerable about it is really what, uh, what's, what kept me in the name of recover out loud, you know, and, and, yep. and I love it. I, I, I love my podcast. I don't see it ending anytime soon. Right. I, I, I'll share that sentiment with you. Part of the reason I came to Thailand is, as you know, in our discussions, is it makes what I'm doing sustainable for cost of living because it's not a lucrative thing that we're doing. Um, can't all be Joe Rogan. Huh? Not yet. Maybe someday. Yeah. Right, but here we are. <laughs> all right. And the thing is, is I can't picture myself doing anything else now. Right. No. What's more, and I can, I can say this definitively, had I gone and gotten a job at a trucking company in management or in sales and whatever, all the things that I've done, there's no way I'm sober today. There's no way. But now I got this community that we're building. You're, like I'm surrounded in recovery, 12, 16 hours a day. I work my ass off at this. And that's, that's what's helped kept me on, on the straight and narrow, right? The, and that, that's yeah. why I'm sitting here in Thailand right now on a scholarship to this, this treatment center, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's all because of the show, man. It's all because of the podcast. And it's, it's, it's about helping. You know, all this shit. I don't have to tell you. I don't have to tell yeah. you. You know what's yeah. up, right? You know, and that's I got to tell thing, you like... the, name, the name Recover Out Loud, if I, if I can interrupt for a second, Sean. Okay. Fucking love that. I love it. I love it. The first time I heard, I recovered out loud. I was like, yeah, you do. Right. Like, I just, I, and <laughs> it's such a right. common term now. Right. Yeah. But five, 10 years ago, it wasn't right now. Now it's really is. It's, it's kind of, it's almost a mainstream thing to say. And that just shows that we're making some room or making some headway on the stigma. Right. Oh yeah. It, oh yeah. 12 stepping. I, I'm not a 12 stepper. Um, yeah. I, I believe in it. I do. Yeah. Um, for me, just logistically, it didn't work out, and there's some other things. Yeah. Whether or not I was in the rooms or not, I should take. My first 30 days was doesn't happen without the rooms. There's no fucking yeah. way, right? Yeah. So, and that's why to this day, and every person that sits on my show and has something negative to say about 12 stepping got sober by 12 stepping. So it's like you're not even yeah. you're not even sitting here having this conversation about how much you don't like them without them. So shut up, right? Yeah. Yeah. That said. The idea of, and, and, and this, this is something that really I've noticed south of the border in, in, the, in the United States compared to Canada. A lot, of, a lot of people down south are much 
more against the idea of saying, yes, I am in Narcotics Anonymous. Yes, I am in because of the anonymous part of it. Yeah. I take exception to that personally. In my mind, that spirit is to protect other people's anonymity, not mine. If I choose to say I am in a 12-step program, I have every right to do that. And I don't think anybody has has any business telling you that you're not okay doing that because how, how, how does, what do we do as we, as we go through the steps? What do, how we tell other people we're in the fucking program so that, that we can yeah. bring them into the program. <laughs> yeah. So well, to further, so, further solidify your point, man, is anonymity. Um, you know, and that was a big thing that, that really came across when I would ask people that were in the rooms, Hey, you want to come on the show and share your story there? Well, I can't really talk about it because my story, you know, involves AA. Well, here's the thing. Like, that's cool. Uh, and I respect that. Um, if you look back at history, right, yeah. and you look back when in the days of Bill Wilson or you look in the in the days of, of Dr. Bob or, or you know, Ju- uh, Judy Garland, I think that's her name. Uh, they were pioneers for recovery, right? Gra- the grassroots of all recovery is 12-step, right? Yeah. And, and you, they branch yeah. out yeah. from there. Whether yeah. it's MAT or or other other you know branches of recovery, it's always that fundamental that that starts yeah. with yeah yeah. Yep. Anonymity started with or you know uh, the the difference between anonymity you know for other people and for yourself really started with them when they went to Congress, American Congress, and they said, "Hey, here's all these celebrities that have volunteered to come out and share their story and share that they're in recovery." Dick Van Dyke. Buzz Aldrin, you name them, and there were so many celebrities, like sports figures or like like actors or even politicians that were in recovery yeah. that they came out and said, "Hey, look, I'm I'm in recovery," and so that anonymity, I think, uh, a lot of people uh, use that, and and it's going to sound bad. They use that anonymity part to cover up for the shame that they feel, and maybe that's what it is, right? It might yeah. it might just be that that simple, right, or that complicated, yeah. depending on how you want to unpack that, but. Yeah. I, yeah, man, it, it, it just, it, I just, I really have a hard time with that. And in Canada, it's not so much like that. Um, obviously, you have to respect everybody else's anonymity that wants to stay anonymous. To me, that's what that second A is in any 12 step, yeah. right? It's not about me. It's about me respecting other people yeah. and about them respecting mine, should I so choose, right? Yeah. And, it, and it's a conversation. I've had one person on, on the Canadian side of the border that I've had that conversation with. But I've had more than a few, and 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 so my experience is anecdotal. Maybe it's not as as different down there as I think it is because I've got such a small sample size, right? But um, it it seems that way to me anyway, right? The yeah. pushback, and what better way to reach the masses, man, than doing what we're doing, right? Like what better yeah. way to spread the message of recovery? And I I don't understand how somebody can take exception to it. I just don't, right? I mean, unless and unless you're spreading. Um, you know, dis- disclusion or or some sort of hate or some sort of a podcast is a great way, man, to to reach some people. You know, right? I so, can tell yeah. you, I can tell you when I when I lived in Alaska, I was one of two recovery podcasts, and the other guy um, strictly uh, interviewed people that were in the indigenous uh, culture, right? And so okay. I was okay. really the only person that was like open. I mean, he interviewed me as a white man and that's okay. I appreciate that. I'm grateful, you know, yeah. and, but, but he sticks to the indigenous, indigenous tribes and indigenous people that are in recovery. And yeah. I'm kind of like this, this open melting pot of people. And so, um, 
when I would have friends come to me, they'd say, hey, you know, we heard about your podcast through X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My name's getting out there. <laughs> it's a good feeling there too, right? Yeah. I say to people, and to do this, you have to have a certain amount of ego involved, right? Yeah. It's just just reality of it. It's not necessarily negative ego, but it's ego, right? Yeah. To, to, to fucking pick up a computer and start babbling into it and then figuring out the guessing and all that, like just to do it, there's a certain amount of ego involved. And I'm not going to lie, right? It yeah. feels good when a motherfucker reaches out to you and says, hey, man, let's talk about being on a show or whatever. You know, It feels yeah. good. And, and it means to me, yes, there's some ego there, but it also means that you're starting to reach some people. And that, yeah. that's a great feeling, right? That's a great feeling. Yeah. I think um, I don't know how it is for you, but for me, I don't get a lot of a ton of feedback on my recovery stuff. And so when uh, when I get to these points where I feel like like I'm not making an impact or I'm not doing anything for the community, somebody will reach out. And it's not like I'm baiting, but like the universe knows my higher power, what have you, whoever you decide that is. Yeah. reaches out somebody reaches out and they're like hey your story has really helped me out and or or what you're doing in the recovery community is really helping me out is keeping me sober or keeping me in the right my right mind frame i'm like holy shit right and this just is astounding one, we, we all say the same thing if i can reach one person i don't and i don't yeah. know another creator that 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 says any different than that right and, no, and i when I, I i take that at face value that we all mean it as well so right yeah, when when I first started this, I said I don't want to be famous. I just want to help change the world, and and yeah. I live to that, right? Like I don't give a shit to be famous. I don't care if I make any money off this. It would be cool too, but I'm not. That's not my goal. My goal is not numbers. My goal is is not subscribers. My goal is the message, right? Because at the end of the day, people's lived experience is going to help the next person down the line. It is fucking right, and by cracking that second A open, I've never said it that way, but. You know, by by cracking that second A open and taking it for what it is, other people's anonymity, respecting other people's yep. anonymity, we can do something about the stigma, right? Yep. And it, and the stigma is it's the boot, man. It's the boot on the neck. It's it is a shit thing to do. To you know, what I made a reel that said uh, um, the real moral failing is propagating the stigma. Yeah, right. To me, that's the real moral failing. So cut it out, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Words matter. Yeah. I don't I really if I'm saying addict, it's because I'm speaking directly to somebody who I'm comfortable with enough to, to shorten up my verbiage. Yeah. But if I'm on the show, I really never use the word addict. It's yeah. people suffering in addiction. Because it's fucking suffering in addiction. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Um I do a I do a lot of work on TikTok and and like social media has been a blessing, but it's been an absolute curse, man, because you get yeah. some of the nastiest people out there that will spew some of the nastiest things behind a fake profile. And yeah. uh, and and so like I approach every situation like that with the thought of education instead of degradation. Right. And I right. much rather educate somebody. And if they choose to take the statistic I give them or choose to take, you know, the lived experience I give them and, and apply that and say, okay, cool, fine. If not, hey, look, man, I, I just hope you never have to suffer from what I what me and my friends are suffering from. Yeah, right. Or you have a kid who's doing yeah. this. Or you oh, know yeah. what I mean, right? Like, you know, I'll speak to something there. So I made a reel the other day 
I'm not sure how I feel, or a meme the other day, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. I'm not going to pull it up to quote it exactly, but it said something to the effect of, if you have a loved one who you left to suffer an addiction that is now sober and in recovery, they did it in spite of you, not because of you. And I got a lot of, I got some pushback on that. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yes, you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's kind of, it's, if I'll be honest, it's part of the reason that I kind of step away from the 12 stepping thing is because of that. Some people believe that leaving somebody to hit rock bottom is the right thing to do. I don't personally. I just, I think it used to be. I think 40 years ago when alcohol was the biggest problem we had, that it was. But today's reality, wait for somebody to hit rock bottom, wait for them to die. Guys, I just wanted to take a quick minute and, and let you know what's going on with me out here in Thailand. So I came out here for a uh, for, for a scholarship to attend a, a trauma treatment. And it's going really, really well, uh, really well. I'm uh, I'm going to be getting my own place here. Well, I've got my own place. I don't uh, technically move in until the 12th, but it's all squared away and all that now. So I'm, I'm super happy for that. And um, I, I do have a GoFundMe going. And I, as much as I hate to ask for help, uh, you know, I have been asking since just before I left Canada to come out this way. Um, it's, it's not a lot of money in this game, and, I, and I'm trying to make a go of it alone. Um, this will be the last month that I'm asking for help, uh, and I do have a GoFundMe uh, page there. Be, the link is is down at the bottom of the screen here now. Uh, anything you can do, five bucks, twenty-five bucks, a hundred bucks, you could change my life, right? And and what that does is it, it helps me to continue spreading the message in a, in a sustainable way and, and, and all that stuff. So uh, I've been working really, really hard at this podcast for a year. I'm really happy to say that, you know, the, the move to Thailand has put me in a place where I can continue to do that because back home, it just it wasn't sustainable anymore. Uh, the cost of living has just gotten too high. And uh, But I could really use a little bit of help just this, just this last month. So if you've got it in your heart to give, I really do appreciate it. And remember, you are loved. Right yeah. with with a fentanyl epidemic that, that that's going on oh, yeah. right now, right? You know. Oh yeah. So I got I got some pushback. It's funny. I mean, I'm part of some huge groups on mm-hmm. on you know, Facebook. Mm-hmm. The partners and spouses and family members groups, a lot of pushback, like a lot of like "fuck you," that's not okay. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, but I kind of do because right? mm-hmm. <laughs> you know I've got my yeah. own lived experience. Mm-hmm. I have a list of Family Friday moms who've been on my show and shared their experience. I have memorial moms that are coming out. Like I got more memorial moms on my messenger, man. People who have lost their kids to, you know, to addiction. Cause we used to, yeah. we used to do that every week. And I kind of, yeah, I kind of do know what I'm talking about actually, but yeah. the memorial groups, the ones that are full of parents who have lost their kids to addiction, not a single negative comment, not a yeah. single one to that meme. And they all say the same fucking thing. They're like, yeah, right. You know, like, I wish I could have done more. I wish I, w- I made more effort. I wish I didn't leave my kid out there to die, right? Yeah. So when you're left, to, when you're left, I get passionate about this one. When you're left to face the consequences of what I feel is the wrong choice, yeah, your perspective changes in a hurry, oh. right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. right? So yeah, I think I think when we present things out into society that are a bit uncomfortable, it doesn't yeah. matter what you said prior to that and all the good things you said prior to that. That what you just said yeah. turns you into the devil. I had a friend that I had to cut loose. Of 12 years, 12 years, because I made a response to a lady that said all addicts and alcoholics are disgusting subpar human beings. And I said, well, that's not okay because those of us that are in recovery, we advocate for those those people. And we also advocate, you know, to, to become better versions of, of, of yourself. And then I found out that, that like she dealt with some, some trauma as a kid because her mom, you know, um, was in addiction and she got 
assaulted by an older man. And I, I said, well, you look, I, I'm sorry that you went through that, right? But like, uh, your mom was a sick individual and this human being is a piece of shit, right? Like there's two yeah. dynamics, two different dynamics, right? And you looking yeah. at one and, and, and like kind of blending the lines is not okay. And my friend absolutely went off on me, like didn't call me to talk to me. She had my number, didn't call me to talk to me. She just decided to publicly degrade me. And I said that that's not okay. No, it's right? not. And I, I, th no, I think right? upholding those boundaries in those relationships on social media is huge. Absolutely it is. Absolutely, right? And, and good for you for that's an uncomfortable thing to say. The oh, yeah. easy, the low-hanging fruit is to be like, oh, wow, I, like, I can't imagine. I'm sorry. But to call that person out and say, you know what? No, it's not all addicts. It's a, there are people yeah. that suffer in addiction. It's yeah. that person was sick. And that person's yeah. a piece of shit predator. And, and yeah. you know, that's got nothing to do with me or the people that I'm advocating for. Most yeah. certainly. I think you did the right thing there, bro. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. 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 Um, couple different things. I Just some hot topics lately for me. Uh, of course, the stigma thing. I mean, I could go on about that for hours, man. Oh, yeah. I really could. Um, at the end of the day recovering out loud and that's why i love the name of your show man it's the way to beat that it really is right and here's the fuck it here's the thing i say it all the time if all the addicts all the people suffering in addiction got sober at the same time the rest of y'all would be fucked because you'd all be working for us we'd have world yeah. hunger world peace fucking global warming we'd find out where the socks were in the dryer yeah. we'd have yeah. all that shit figured out because it's all fucking nonsense compared to managing a habit for years at a time right <laughs> living on the street yeah. it's all got nothing on that man we'd we'd all get together and say oh fuck we would figure this out no problem right you know yeah. once you've had to supply a 300 dollars a day habit you know in the middle of winter in canada homeless yeah yeah <laughs> right? yeah it, it doesn't it <laughs> doesn't get much worse than that no it doesn't right <laughs> the kind of the kind of ferocity and intensity and and ingenuity and and commitment you know, and then when we do get sober, when we do get sober and we've all risen from the ashes, it's like I, 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 this army of Phoenix, you know, and, and we are capable of fucking anything when we get together. And I like to that, I am 100 percent certain. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know? I think with the stigma, yeah. too, like I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think with the stigma um, is. Also, we, I, I, th I feel that there's a stigma of people in recovery because I see it a lot on social media is like people in recovery thinking that they're better than other people. Right. And that, you, you know, and I hate yep. that shit. I hate that yeah, shit. Man. Right. And like, there's some creators that, that, that toe that line, right. toe that line of humility or, you know, being humble and and being yep. and having their ego step in right and it generally involves like the the mat community i have nothing against uh people on mat i think it's a wonderful yep. program um but it involves the people in mat where they're like you know they they degrade instead of educate and then they think that it's education but there's no yep. statistics there's no lived experience it's just like you're dumb if you don't agree with me sorry <laughs> Or my personal Not everybody's favorite. gonna. If if you don't show you care the same way I do, then you don't care. That's yeah. that's like fuck. Yeah. That's that's harm reduction versus everything else, right? And it's like, yeah. no, wait a minute, right? <laughs> like, wait a minute here, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I do. You guys got safe supply down there in, in the uh, United States? Is that a thing what, that's happening at all? What's safe? So, what's safe supply? 
in British Columbia and BC and Canada, mm. they have started three years ago now prescribing hydromorph to opiate addicts mm -hmm. so that they don't go out and buy fentanyl. Mm. You know where this is going. Yeah. Yeah. We have something like that, but I'll, okay. I'll tell you afterwards. What's happening. And we all know what's happening. A, the statistics aren't being reported by anybody. Yeah. We don't know for certain. The statistics that have come out just recently, and this was at the, the Canadian Symposium for Addiction Medicine, CSAM, um, okay. where all the doctors in Canada get together, like the addiction, all the like the big players, the small players, everybody yeah. gets together. Two of my co-hosts were there um, to do that. Of course, one of them being the psychiatrist, Dr. Lisa. And so she comes back and she talks about this talk she attended where they're saying, listen, the vast majority of those drugs are being diverted. They're being sold. Because to a fentanyl addict, hydromorph, nope, nope. Yeah. Like, you might as well give near beer to an alcoholic. It's just not going to do it, right? Yeah. So they're selling it so they can go buy their fentanyl. But you know who they're selling it to? Kids. 17, 18 years old. So now these kids are the next generation of fentanyl addicts, yeah. right? Because they're, they're starting... The difference is it's not Purdue Pharmacy handing it out. Now it's the government saying here. But it's the same fucking result in the end. We're just creating a bunch of fentanyl addicts. People, you know, people who suffer. So I get fired up about that. We had a, we had a really good conversation on last weekend's weekend ramble. Um, but the, the challenge with that, and, and Dr. Lisa will tell you, in that talk, the people in the audience were getting so passionate and so pissed off but it's like, listen, this, this is the, these are the facts, right? And you're pissed off because I don't think safe supply is the way. But I still want to help that person just as much as you do. Yeah. Right? I still want that person's outcome to be the same. as I want that person to live a long, happy, healthy life. That's it. We all want the same thing. But because you don't agree with me, we can't even have that conversation. And how many conversations don't have because of that? Right? Actually, and that, absolutely. that gets me, gets me fucking really frustrated you know really frustrated we kind of have were you yeah we kind of have things like that i don't know what they're called but um they're all on the west coast and it, it's all on the west coast bc's <laughs> uh, on the west coast so <laughs> okay all right well that makes more sense then i didn't even think about that yeah. um so so they set up sites where they have heroin people yep. can go in get clean needles all this other stuff they shoot up there and then they go about their day like that's not harm that's, reduction that's safe injection so yeah okay, now we can have a real conversation because now i think yeah. we're on two different sides of something here which means this is these are the conversations i really like right okay. so <laughs> yeah yeah right um uh, safe injection sites I'm, I'm still torn on that um clean needles i'm not clean listen they're gonna do it yeah they're gonna do it right whether or not they give each other AIDS, we can help. But we can't help whether or not they're going to slam heroin That's just, or fentanyl or whatever. That's yeah. just the reality, right? So we can give them some clean rigs and they can get that done safely and not die so that they are there to save when we, you know, when we get to it. The shooting, the safe injection sites, I'm not, I'm not 100% on those though, right? I have one guest, uh, George Foyer came on and... Uh, you know, first time he ever tried heroin was in a safe injection site, right? He's like, 
you know, the rigs there, there's a dealer hanging outside all the time there, you know, like, but I've heard some pretty strong cases for it as well. So it's tough, right? It's tough, but yeah. yeah I, don't I know. your thoughts. I, on I, I don't agree with it. Um, I, and I think I, I'm going to liken it to kind of what you said earlier, you know, it would be like bringing a room full of alcoholics in and feeding yeah. them near beer and say, enjoy it. Have a good time, right? All you're doing, you're 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 feeding that craving. You're not you're not you're not addressing the behavior surrounding the use. You're just giving you're you're giving people the access to the use, right? Yep. And I don't agree with it. And and that's just me. And I'm never going to degrade anybody for 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 that. I just I don't agree Sweet. with it. I have, this is how like, great I conversations used, happen. Yeah. Right? So yeah. Right. yeah. I used yeah. to have I used to have a very extreme bias against MAT. Because yeah. when I was in jail, I seen people banging um, suboxone in jail, yeah, right? right? Yeah. But they they were they were injecting it in their eyes with water, and like I didn't agree with it. I got out and I, and and it was just like a broad spe spectrum. Like I didn't agree with medication assisted treatment, right? Yeah, and it went from that to I would see people that were like, "Hey, I'm taking Valtrexin," and I'm like, "No, no, you're not fucking sober, right?" And then, but then my, one of my best friends came to me and, uh, he was like, Hey man, I've been sober for five years. And, um, before then I was slinging everything you can think of. And he was like, I started to, you know, I went to jail. I got out. I started taking, uh, Suboxone. And at first I was like, uh, but he was like, let me explain. My dosage went from this to lowered to this, and now I'm one step away from getting off of it. And I'm like, okay. And so now I've opened, I've, I've, got, I've eliminated that bias because, you know, I've seen it one way, but that's the only way I've seen it. I didn't see it the therapeutic way. Yeah. And and but but I mean, like, if we look at history, anything that we use or that that we do to recover, we can we we it can become addicting right and so yeah. it's not it's not the substance it's the behavior surrounding it dr lisa made a case for for matt um saying that she was hardcore against it till she got to medical school and she was doing a residency and and she you know she had to, her addiction you know um whatever they're called it you know that portion of her education and she started seeing people that were five years right and had families and jobs and and all those things and their life was steadily getting better and at the end of the day that's again long healthy happy lives right yeah. whatever that means to you it's my attitude about recovery is like whatever method you're using if it's if it's working for you that's the exact right method you know right and yeah. who the fuck am i to judge you know yeah um i've certainly i, I used to be switzerland on all of this stuff and i've now i've taken a pretty I've got I've got my stance on most of it now, right? Yeah. You know, um, mandated treatment is there is that a topic you've you've touched base on much mm -hmm. or you know where where are you yeah. at with that one, Sean? Yeah. So, I agree with it. I agree with mandated treatment um, because some of us are so hard headed, <laughs> right? Uh, me being one of them, right? <laughs> to a degree, yeah, yeah, yeah. to yeah. to a degree, right? Like like you, I feel like you have to really want it. Right. There has to be that 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 dedication to a change. But you've had either so many 
trips to the jail, you know, the rate of your your individual rate of recidivism is so high or the risk of recidivism is so high that you really can't manage it on your own. Like I can be honest. I can say, look, man, if I would have been released from jail and not gone into recovery, not been mandated to do some of these things, I don't know that I would be sober today. And I can I can like Fair say enough. that wholeheartedly. Enough, right? Yeah. Um and I know so many of, of my brothers and sisters same thing. They don't know, you know, because they when you go into jail or or you're you're in you know in, in in a facility, you're not necessarily taught the skills, right? Sometimes there will be somebody that comes in once a week and holds an AA meeting or NA meeting, or somebody yeah. that comes in that is peer support that has a dedication to the jail that wants to help people inside, and that's cool. But that's not the same for ninety percent of jails across the world. So yeah, I think when that that getting out and getting into a mandated treatment, right? And I think with the mandate, like we think about the word mandate and we're like, it's bad because yeah. there's nothing yeah. on the back end for you. But in in my mandated treatment, um, when I went in, I went in with the understanding that if I did not complete this program, I'm going back to jail. If I did complete this treatment, my record would be expunged. So it would oh, it would be it would be as if it was incentivized. It would be as if I didn't do anything, even though I knew I did, and the people that I did them to knew that they did, that I did right. Um, but there was incentive behind it, right? Because uh, there, there's a huge stigma. We talked about stigma earlier. There's a huge stigma around the word felon. Seeking a path to heal from trauma? Discover Yatra Center in Phuket, Thailand. Yatra specializes in EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, a groundbreaking therapy transforming lives globally. Why choose Yatra? Nestled in the tranquility of Phuket, Thailand, Yatra offers both online outpatient services and immersive residential programs. Their expert therapists ensure that traumatic memories are processed, becoming less intense and more manageable. Research-backed and globally recognized, Yatra's EMDR approach doesn't just ease the pain, it targets the very core, facilitating deep healing. Whether you're at home or at their serene center, Yatra paves your way from trauma to tranquility. Don't let the past overshadow your present. Choose Yatra. Transform pain into strength and step into a brighter future. Visit yatracenter.com and embark on your healing journey. Yeah. Huge. You, see, yeah, huge. you guys got it way worse than we do that way down there. Oh, yeah. 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 It's yeah, it's yeah. starting to change the 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 stigma is starting to change. You know, we I, I think the best thing that I heard somebody say, and this is actually from my brother. My brother said, uh, he was like, being a felon isn't stopping you from getting an LLC. LLC. Uh, 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 pretty much like a business license. Oh, okay. okay, St okay starting yeah, yeah. starting up your own business, right? He's like, he's like, being a felon isn't stopping you from entering into the workforce, but you have to tailor what you do, right? My brother's a felon, but he has a job as a car salesman or as as a as uh, as like a enterprise car salesman. So he goes and rents cars out to people. He's a manager there, and then on top of that, he owns his own business, his own small business, right? So like, uh, it doesn't stop you from entering into the workforce, but the stigma surrounding it is really big, it's really heavy, and then. And then people in their minds limit themselves to say, I can never, I can never achieve this. Yeah. And that's one more excuse for some people too, right? We know that. Right? Yeah. 
Yeah, so but MAP data treatment here. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's all sorts of that. Hey, if you you know drug court, we call it, is pretty yeah. common now across the country in, in all yeah. jurisdictions. What we're talking when I say mandated treatment, what I'm talking about is taking that fentanyl addict and saying, "Hey, listen, this is enough. We're going to commit you to a form of psychiatric care, and we're going to force you to go to treatment because what you're doing is not okay." And Doctor Lee speaks to this quite a bit. At first, in Alberta, where I was before I came to Thailand, I heard this on the news, and I was like, "Okay, this is going to be the fuck you mandated treatment show." And it's no way, it's human rights, you can't do that, you can't lock people up for it. And then Lisa got to, you know, explaining things the way that she does. And she says, it's not about locking up people, it's about offering people a chance to be sober for a minute to make some 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 good choices. Because somebody that's heavily into a fentanyl addiction doesn't even have capacity. They check every box in the mental health act that would commit them. If they were schizophrenic and checked all those boxes, right off to the psych ward. But because they're, an, because they're somebody who's suffering an addiction, no, there's a stigma now. That's not what we do, right? Lisa is very vocal about it. She will accept people at the, at the ER that come in that are in addiction. She will accept them. She will commit them. And she will tell management to fuck off. This is a person who is suffering an addiction. They have mental health problems. They are staying here until we get them a bed at a real treatment center because we put that person out there. If we, if we, you know, if we, what do we call it? Um, whatever. If we check them out, sorry, they're going to die. And that's not okay. Right. And, and it's like, fuck, okay. Now you got me. Now we're going to have a conversation. Yeah. In my mind, and, and another one of my great, great guests, uh, Devin McGuire, said if you're asking insane people to make sane choices, we have to get them sober for a minute so that they can stop and think about what the fuck is going on instead of being dope sick and making decisions. Because a dope sick person cares about one thing, right? Then it's the reality. It's, it's physically addicting. Their bones yeah. are turning to dust and it feels like the flu times a thousand. That's a personal thing that I have heard from countless people that are dope sick. How can you ask that person to make a sane choice? Right. They're, they're going to every time they're going to be whatever gets me on dope sick. And usually that means getting high. Yeah. Right. So if we can help those people get to a point where they can make a choice for themselves, you know, at in, in a lucid moment, not, not when, you know, the disease is killing them, you know, the, then maybe, maybe they got a chance. So um, that's another, it's a big hot button issue here with harm reduction people and, and, you know, the other side. So um, I'm just curious. I haven't heard much about it out of the U S you guys are very different. We got 10 provinces, you got 50 states, right? So like, yeah. you know, and your states are so much more independent than our provinces are too. Yeah. Right. So, you, you know, that's going to look very different at any point in, in, in the country, right? Dude, so, yeah. You know, I'm telling like, you, like, like I got certified as a peer support specialist in Alaska. And yeah. if I wanted to be a peer support specialist in Maryland, there's a whole different set of regulations I got to follow, a whole different process that's I have crazy, to go eh? through. Right. And yeah. it's like, it's like, why do I have to go through this process to be to help people when I've done it in Alaska and I'm still doing it right? Like I'm still fucking yeah. doing it. I'm still providing services. I'm not getting paid for it, but I'm still providing services to people in Alaska. Like, like, why is there such a massive difference? Why yeah. do we have right. one standard across the board? Right. It's just common sense. Hey, eh? if common sense, oh Jesus, you started injecting that into government. Jesus Christ, <laughs> where are we going to be? Right. You know, 
It's funny, Alaska, I, I didn't even think about it until just now when you said it again, Sean. Alaska, last I heard, had the highest rates of fentanyl deaths in the country, yeah. right? I've got four memorial moms that I've done episodes with out of Alaska, yeah. right? Four of them, four of them, right? Um, that's crazy up there, man. That's, yeah. that's just not safe. Yeah, I have yeah. I have a friend that I'm going to interview, and she lost her brother, and I, I could probably get her if you wanted her on your show. Of course, she, of course she, I'm always open to it. She lost her brother. She's She's been sober for quite a while, but she lost her brother to fentanyl, and now she does harm reduction. She Wherever she can wherever she can help people build Narcan kits, she does, dude. Like, I, I wasn't really big into Narcan, and uh, when I moved here, um, my... Yeah, I went into the fridge and my girlfriend has a Narcan kit in the fridge. And I kind of looked at it. I said, what, what is this? And she said, you never know who you're going to run into and when you need it. There's a PSA that by now in the episode we'll have played. Mm-hmm. We do in every single episode. And it says you, everybody should carry Narcan because you might not be plan on being around irresponsible opioid use, but you never know when it's going to be around you. Yeah, right. dude, the scary you know, shit. I thought that yeah, I ran across. I, I thought I ran across that uh, a few months ago. My girlfriend and I went to. We have Tractor Supply here, and and I, if you don't know what Tractor Supply is, it's like a big just. It's it's like it's like redneck. It's like redneck. You know, yacht club, dude. They got that Carhartt <laughs> shit everywhere. They've got your Ariat stuff, but they also got like dog food, and they yeah. got do- like more high end dog food and guns. And, There's lots and, of guns and, and guns, brother. <laughs> America, <laughs> greatest country in the world. No, uh, uh, so we went there and we literally just pulled up and we seen this car turned on, the yeah. the the door open and this guy slumped over on the inside. Sounds like an overdose to me. My brain went to that and I was like, oh fuck, he's either overdosed or dead. And I ran inside because. If I were to put hands on this guy in a parking lot and he wasn't dead, like not physically like punch him, but like if, if I had put hands on him, I have the right to be sued. So I went inside and I, I, I got an employee. Oh, it sucks. And I got an employee. We went we went out together because, you know, um, I wanted her to have, you know, somebody that corroborate the story. We got out there and found out it was just a, a handicapped guy. But like how quick that could have been something yeah. different. Right. True story, man. True story. The last, um, the last memorial episode I did, oh, I can't remember her name right now. She lost her son to a fed- drug poisoning. We called. They never called it alcohol overdose. Remember when we were kids? Yeah. It was. It was an alcohol poisoning. Why is it a drug overdose? It's because of fucking stigma. That's why. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So now words matter. This enlightened side of us is supposed to call it a drug poisoning, and and to that I say, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, she lost her son to a fentanyl poisoning. A couple years later, you know, she keeps an Arcan around now. It's a big part of her thing. You know, she's, she's, you know, advocating and all that. She looks out her front window and there's a lineup of traffic at a stop sign in a residential area. She's like, what the fuck's going on? She looks out again a minute later, still there. Oh, this is weird. So she goes and looks, guy slumped over in his vehicle at the stop sign. She's got an Arcan. She saves the guy's life. Right. Just like, boom. Yeah. That's why you have it in your fridge. Right there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because that that's a, it's a real possibility now. Every day, every day, Sean, a 747 falls out of the sky mm-hmm. in North America between Canada and the United States. Yeah. That's how many people die of fentanyl poisoning. Yeah. 
every single fucking day. COVID never even got close to those numbers. No. They shut down the world. Realistically, at a societal level, we're not doing anything about this. No. We're not. We are. There's people like you. There's people like myself. There's all these memorial moms that are just trying so desperately hard to, to save other people from the anguish that they're in every single day. But we're not doing shit as a society to help all these people. And if 500 people a day die, that's 5,000 people that are affected at 10 people, which is a pretty goddamn low number to attach to every person that suffers an addiction, right? That are suffering alongside, right? And, and when you put it in terms like that, man, we got to do better. We've just got to do better, right? You know? yeah. Think about it. Think oh, about man. it, though. Like, like, we don't do anything about it because it doesn't directly affect us. Right. Right. Yeah. So like, so we think, so, so we, we think, think. right. Right. And, yeah. and I, I agree yeah. with that. So we think, right. And so yeah. like, so like to the average everyday person, if I were to walk across the street and, and I say, you know, what are your opinions on Narcan? Nine chances out of 10, they're going to be like, what is Narcan? Cause they don't understand it. They don't know, yeah. you know, that, that stuff. And it could also be because I live in a, in a, in a, in a town that is like 300 years old where, where I everybody remembers the civil <laughs> war brother. Um, but, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, um, there's not enough, there's not enough advocacy or knowledge on it. Every, everybody knows an addict, but not everybody knows an addict or an alcoholic in recovery. Yeah. You know, yeah, right. And, right. and, and, so my neighbor, even my neighbor, um, she was literally right next door and she watches everything I do, like all the content that I put out. And I walked outside one day and she's like, I had no clue you never drank or you don't drink. And I yeah. said, yeah. I yeah. said, yeah, I don't drink. And she's like, I've watched everything that you do and I think it's very brave what you're doing. She's like, but – and she works at a jail. She's a corrections officer at a jail and she was giving me statistics on on the drugs flowing in and out of jail the fentanyl all this shit and i'm like i'm like what do you guys do to stop it she's like there's nothing we can do yeah yeah it's just fucking terrible man it really is it really is man like like uh that's horrible i could i could go on for hours about that um and I, I don't think it's a conversation we should ever stop having either right not until we're doing something about it something meaningful right yeah and I don't, I don't know what there is. We have a thing here, and again, it's a commercial that will have run by now. And and I do like to tell people, um, Norris, it's a national overdose response system. Um, you guys have one down there. You have a couple of them down there. Never use alone. I think it's called. Um, eighty five hundred phone calls. Norris has kept it in Canada here, and not one single death. Right? These are people that are using alone and call in. They have an emergency plan set up. So, hey, if, if, if I don't call you back after I do this shot, this hoot, this whatever, um, call me. And if I don't answer, then you can alert my sister who lives in the next room or you can my buddy down the road that has Narcan. Failing that, you can get EMS involved. They can come out. 8,500 phone calls and not a single death. To me, it's the only thing that has made a difference, yeah. right? Like, I shouldn't say that. It's the only thing that's making a tangible difference in real time relative to all the effort that is being made. And there's some great people making some amazing efforts. It just, fuck, you know, it's yeah. all, it's all just drops in the bucket though. And that's, that's the problem with it. Right, man. Fuck. Yeah. It's sad. It's so sad. 
Yeah. Now, now yeah. I have a yeah. question for you. Fire away. All right. So in the eighties, yeah, seventies or eighties was the start of the drug or the war on drugs. How do you feel about that? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Did it make a difference? I'm 46 years old. I remember just say no as a big part of my childhood. I remember not even thinking about just say no the first time I picked up a substance. Yeah. Didn't even occur to me, right? It was fuck that, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. um, the war on drugs has been the worst thing to do for addiction ever, ever, yeah. Yeah. right? Um, it has stigmatized. It has it's it's driven the moral model when it comes to, to dealing with people that are suffering an addiction and the moral model can fuck right off as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Right. Um, we, we, in the Ashes to awesome here, we, uh, we propagate the love model. Yeah. Right. Cause connection, as we all know now is the opposite of addiction. 100% it is yeah. right. You know, um, there's a message and, um, I totally forgot to tell you about that, Sean. The end of the episode, you're going to say you are loved. We're going to talk about that though. So anyway, <laughs> here's why. For me, the perceived lack of connection was the boot on my neck that kept me in active addiction for the last two years of it. Yeah. I believed I knew nobody loved me. Erroneously. Yeah. But Erroneous. I Erroneous. <laughs> <laughs> my mother at one point just took the reins and said enough is enough. I, I went three years without talking to anybody in my family, anybody that loved me. Yeah. And and it sounds like you went through something similar. Yeah. My mother at some point just took the reins and started initiating conversation with me. And no matter how erratic the conversation was, she would end it with you are loved. Um, she would randomly text me, You are loved. And now you are loved is a huge part of our show. It's it's in the logo, it's all over the place. I get pictures now, man, from people from different places where they'll see you are loved on something and they'll send it in. You know, it's like, fuck yeah. To me, that's honoring my mother, right? Because I'll tell you what, the day, the day that I had had enough when exhaustion kicked in, I knew that when I, when I messaged her, she would be there. And I knew that because of that message, because of that glimmer of fucking hope that she sent over and over and over again. So when I said earlier that meme that pissed people off, they got better in spite of you, not because of you. You can have boundaries as a parent. You can have, you need them. You need them to keep yourself sane, right? Uh, but let's not kid ourselves. We do that to protect ourselves, not for the good of the person suffering in addiction. And then thereby, when your person gets better and you take credit for it because you somehow did them a favor, by not maintaining connection, fuck off. That's what I say to that. You did not do them a favor. You did yourself a favor, which you have the right to do. You have the right to your own boundaries, but let's not disguise it as doing that person a favor. And there's another problem that sometimes the 12 step kind of pushes that, let them hit rock bottom. Again, that comes from generations of the worst thing anybody was dealing with is alcohol, which is terrible, which has caused yeah. more pain and strife than all of the other drugs combined. But as far as death goes, not so much, yeah. right? Not not on the not on the scale that we're seeing now. Yeah, what and, you and that's why I think you know. Go ahead. Yeah. What you explained to me reminds me of a movie I watched. Uh, it's called Four Good Days. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, 
I saw it in social detox, actually. Yeah, that's powerful, man. That is like that is super powerful. That right? shit yeah. ripped me up, and and you know, hard drugs right. wasn't my thing, man. It ripped me the fuck up because yeah. you know, yeah. there's a handful of movies that are recovery based that fucked me up. That was one of them, and <laughs> yeah. uh, my name is Bill W. Is another one. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Oh, it's well, it's about Bill W. Um, and Bill W. Yeah, uh, oh, the, the founder of AA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. okay. And uh, I want to, I want to say Gary Sinise is in that movie. But, oh, really? Yeah. There, there's, you don't, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's actually quite a few, quite a few famous actors in the movie. Um, and then there's another one that is called uh, Burnt, and it's Bradley Cooper, and he's he uh, he's suffering from addiction or he's in recovery, and he relapses a few times, but he's a chef, and it like models like the actions of Gordon Ramsay and a few other things, and like all the it hits on like all the relationships that were buried because of him uh, and, and his behavior and, and, you know, and really getting that quote unquote redemption story when you get clean. Yeah. 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 Really good yeah. movie. No shit. Eh? We'll have to check that one out. We'll have to check mm -hmm. that one out. Speaking of Brad um, Cooper's been sober for a while too. Yeah. Right. He's a, he's a big, he's a big advocate for recovery. That's yeah. right too. Right? There, no, there's yeah. quite a few people, him, Matthew Perry, uh, RDJ. Oh, I, I, I oh. admire and I adore Robert Downey Jr. I don't, how could a... you not? Right. Yeah. Like what a fucking champ, man. Dude. Right. To go from that to wow. Right. You know, yeah. now not only is he hyper successful, but he's like the guy kids look up to, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's everybody wants to be this guy, right? Like, yeah, that's Le amazing. Yeah. Legit, no, right? legit. And I know, I know it's a little off topic, but legit. When Spider Man died in Infinity War, not a single uh -huh. tear was shed for me. But when Iron Man died in the e end of Endgame, I cried like a little baby. <laughs> oh, like, see, how could you do this? I'm to a me? Spider Man guy. I'm a Spider Man guy through and through, right? Always. <laughs> oh shit, my Bluetooth speaker. It's one thing that i bought here that i didn't need since i've been in thailand is a bluetooth spider-man bluetooth speaker right yeah fucking, fuck that guy who pointed it out to me anyway make me spend <laughs> that money bro my wedding was spider-man themed that like that's i am a spider-man guy 100 percent. Nice. right when the jp justice of the peace were at the rehearsal the night before doing our thing and i says with this ring i the web and she says if you say that tomorrow i will not marry you i says i don't think you will I think, or I think you will. I'm going to call your bluff. She says, I swear to God. I was like, no, I I, I think like, you're not going to stop the wedding. Sure as shit, I did it, bro. And she did not stop that wedding. <laughs> you called her bluff. That's awesome. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah, we had blue and red flowers with webbing in them. And yeah, it's like the last fun thing my wife ever did. I know she's not watching this, so fuck that. My ex-wife. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, <laughs> obviously. But it was fun. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. So yeah, I cracked a tear when Spider-Man died. Wow, did that get off topic in a hurry? Hey, yeah, Jesus. I, right? I'm a I'm a Thor guy myself. If you can't tell by my beard, yeah. Well, you know, you rock a fucking beard game. That's for sure. Right? There's so, a story behind got, it. What's well? Do tell. Let's mm. let's have the beard story now, right? Okay, yes. so I'm not I'm not Christian, and I don't believe in God, but I have studied the Bible extensively. When I was a kid, I was okay. a Christian, and yeah. one of the stories that really stuck out to me was Samson. Right. And, okay. and yeah. Samson, his hair was his strength. And if he ever cut his hair off, he lost his strength. Yeah. yeah. And so when I got into recovery, like I, I was, I was maybe a year out of the army and 
I was growing a beard and one day I woke up and this was like right when I started recovery too. And I was just pissed off at the world. Don't remember why. And I was like, I was like, I need a change. And I didn't want to cut my hair off because I had hair at the time um, before I had this receding hairline of mine. And I, I just took clippers to my beard and I shaved it off. And I remembered why I grew my beard out. And it's because I look like a 12-year-old child baby face. And so I just started growing it back. And, and like a year into recovery, I was like, you know what? I'm never cutting this thing off again. It is my, it is my Samson story. It is my symbol of strength. So when people ask, I say, right. yeah. if you, if yeah. you see me with a beard, you know, I'm still sober. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Right. Everybody will forget it. my face, but nobody forgets my beard. Right, you know. Actually, I got another guest, um, a great guy for you to connect with. Um, Bunny hugs and mental health. Okay. Have you heard of him? No. Uh, Todd Todd Randerbaum podcast okay. as well. Um, he's he's been on Hard Knocks talks as well. Those two are, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, so Todd, he's got a fucking strong beard game, bro. The yeah. two of you, there's a whole new podcast there, right there, <laughs> right? You know, yeah, yeah. A bunny hug in Saskatchewan, Canada, mm-hmm. is a hoodie. Oh. Only place in the world that they refer to a hoodie, a hooded sweatshirt, as a bunny hug. Now, you know something about Saskatchewan you didn't know. Yeah. He's from Saskatchewan, just like Dan is. I know you say he was from Calgary, whatever yeah. the fuck that was about. Uh, his I, name, I, right? so, yeah, yeah. To, me, it's, to, me, to me, it's all French. <laughs> it's funny because we're so far from French over I know. here. That's funny. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, actually, you know what? I got to tell you, I texted Dan shortly after you and I talked yeah. and said, I had to explain to him it was Danada, not Canada, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's he great. He appreciated the joke. He did. The, he did. the sad thing so, is, is I've driven through Saskatchewan. I've driven through Calgary, yeah. you know, BC. Yeah. And, yeah. and and for some reason, I had that mental block, and I was like, he's from Calgary. No, he's not. He's from fucking no, Saskatchewan. No, no, no. But it's understandable. You are an American, and... Americans we are, dumb. are only about Americans. Mm. So, you know, there's that, right? So yeah. 98% <laughs> of Americans cannot point out what country's on a map. No, no, no. I I, I know. It's a, actually, it's a really, like, disturbing statistic, right? Canada, they look like a burrito, and they have three parts. Toronto, Calgary, and Vancouver, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah, it's fucked up, right? Um, but, hey, you know... You know what? You can speak to that in schools all over the world. Let's stop teaching kids useless history about the USSR or whatever. Let's start teaching them about an emotional lexicon, how to label their feelings, yeah. right? Let, let's start teaching them about, you know, real life shit that's going to actually serve them some purpose in life, you know? Yeah. Um, we were just talking about that earlier today, too, and, and here at the treatment center and, and how much of a disservice we do to generations and generations, right? You yeah. Know, like all that stuff we don't need to learn. I can learn the history of USSR at any point in my life. But at 8, 9, 10 years old, I need to know how to communicate my feelings. I need to know how to how to, to verbalize things. I need to know that it's okay not to be okay. I need you know what I mean? Like and no nobody's teaching this shit in school. Yeah, dude, right? my so, my 12-year-old no. daughter's sitting here and she's like, "Dad, I just learned about Norse mythology." Me being Nor, you know, Norse pagan, I was like all for it, but I was like why is my 10-year-old learning about Norse mythology and Egyptian mythology when she should be learning about something that is going to benefit her for the rest right. of her life? How does money work? 
Yeah. Right. Like, how does it actually work? Not, you know, right. How, you know, let, let's talk about that for a fucking second. Right. Like, let's, let's teach kids that. Let's teach kids about mental health. Let's, you know. Yeah. But instead, we put all this time and money and effort into just shit that they can learn anytime. And that's unfortunate. Right. Yeah. So. And there's whole college paths to, to learning about mythology and about, about English lit. Right. But there's, yeah. There's no yeah. pathway yeah. on how to process your emotions. No, there's nothing. There's nothing, right? So, um, hey, listen, I just hit stop record. All right, Sean, so you're a trauma guy, obviously. Yep. Um, we've talked about some of that. Um, as you know, I am at the uh, Yacha Treatment Center here in Phuket, Thailand, on scholarship to get some of my traumas addressed. Um, a, Yacha Treatment Center is the most amazing place. Literally everything here is about trauma is about a serene creating a calm serene environment mindfulness uh yoga fuck have you ever done yoga yeah it's up a fucking real like that's hard man it's mm -hmm. hard my second day yeah. i walked in and said i am not your friend <laughs> like i'm not i don't you like are you very sadist, much right now. and i am not a masochist and you and i are not friends this is not okay i don't um, like you right now <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> i've done the ice bath which was amazing. Mm. By far, the biggest deal has been the EMDR, which, of course, I know you're familiar with. Um, yeah. I can't, did you say you have experienced the therapy I yourself? I have not, but I know a lot mm. of people who have. Fuck, man. I tell you, um, the memory that I picked, so I've got a bunch. Here's a crazy thing I'll talk to you real quick, too. I was in the drug game for 25 years. Most of that time, I was a dealer on some level. Mm. for 23 years i never had a problem not once not once did i think i might be about to get robbed not once i was careful about who i dealt with all those things fentanyl and meth together are the perfect storm got one drug that people will do literally anything for fentanyl they're they're it's physically addictive beyond heroin beyond anything the world has ever seen it's and it's shorter lived to boot and then you've got meth, a drug that'll keep them awake for two weeks at a time doing those things. So it's this perfect storm. And it created this ultra-violent, like, it caught me totally by surprise. Um, I won't get into all the things. One of the things that had happened to me was the hostage thing. And I have to say, two days ago, there's no way I could sit here and openly talk about this without crying. There's just no fucking way. Now a tear comes to my eye because of the relief I feel after one session of EMDR. And that's because we, we picked that one memory about, you know, how I was taken hostage and, you know, I knew I was going to die half a dozen times that night. And I can sit here and talk about it like EMDR is, it's no joke. Hey, that's some real shit. When we were done, the first session, I looked at Mike, he's the owner and head therapist here. And I said, fuck you, Mike. Like, that is amazing, man. Like, I'm just the sense of relief, the freedom from a memory that has crippled me at times in the last few years, indescribable, right? Yeah. So I think we all have one of the, the, those one or two memories the, or the life events tease. that really yeah. fuck and destroy yeah. us. I know I did. And, oh, and sounds uh, like it, man. Yeah, right. I had like one or two that destroyed me. And, and I think, you know, finding that avenue I know that that EMDR has worked for anybody and everybody that um, has done it, yeah. and um, and I think 
I, I think if more people were certified in EMDR and able to provide that service, that people would be able, we as a society would be able to work through a lot more of our, of our trauma, right? I hate buzzwords. Right. Yep. I hate, I hate yep. buzzwords. I hate the social media buzzwords. You know, I was traumatized is one of them, but like yep. the, the thing that, that we're missing real, is it's real. It's not a buzzword. It's, it's, when you say it's not a buzzword when I say it either. Right. You know, like, no, yeah. you're absolutely right. But I think, you know, as a society, we fail to take action against those things because, because to some degree, I think we, we, and this is going to sound say, uh, sadist, but we enjoy the pain. We enjoy being stuck in that, right? And then when we have that moment where we can we enjoy the attention that comes from being stuck. Oh, in yeah. Right. You know? Oh, yeah. You get people who have thousands of views saying, I was traumatized or I am a survivor of narcissistic abuse. That's cool. But what have you yeah. done to fix yourself? Right. Something I just made a reel about this the other day. Once you yeah. know you got the problem, it's on you, man. It's on you. Hiding behind yeah. addiction is a disease is why people call us piece of shit addicts, right? Once you yeah. know you have it, once you know it's a thing, it's 100% on you to deal with, man. All that yeah. shit, you got to, you know, it's it's on you. It's on you. Yeah. It's hard and it's shitty and you're going to relapse most likely. Statistically, it's a fucking, it's, a, it's an uphill grind, but it's on mm -hmm. you to do it. Nobody else is going to do it for you. That's just the reality, yeah. right? So My, my girlfriend mm -hmm. does another form of EMDR. It's called uh, brain spotting. And she oh, okay. tells me it, it's essentially like EMDR, but it's, uh, I, it's a, a tad bit different. I don't try and step into like the therapist role or like trying to understand what she's going through yeah. because like yeah. – that's her own thing. If she decides to tell me, that's cool. But I'm not going to be know like what? the most hey. powerful thing anybody ever told me about PTSD was I understand that I will never understand. Yes, I wanted to hug her so badly when she said. I still remember like that person. I do not enjoy. I think they're a horrible person now. But the moment she said that to me, it was like somebody that gets it. It's just you're not going to tell me what I have to just do. You're not going to you're not going to use the just on me. You're just going to tell me I get it. I don't get it. And I don't know about yourself, man, but like one more person said, you just gotta, and I was going to kill somebody. Right. Yeah. I know that yeah. I'm never going to be able to stand your, understand your trauma. Cause I've never been through it. I, I know yeah. that I'm never going to be yeah. able to understand my girlfriends or my father's anybody's right. Yeah. But what I can right. do, what I, and this is the, but, and I hate the, but, but what, I, but what I can do is I can be uh, available if that person needs to talk or the, I can, I can right. just give that person the safe space to, to, to vent it all out. Let it all go. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If nothing else, you know, what else can you offer the world? Yeah. So yeah. you're talking about brain spotting. Do you want to like elaborate on that for a second? I cut you mm -hmm. off and I tend to do so, that. So brain spot, brain spotting is essentially like a meditative form of bringing up memories. Right. And sometimes okay. it's memories on your subconscious that you've completely forgot and you, you attach to that memory, you bring that memory forward and you start talking about it in, in a meditative state and how it affects you and, and, you know, explaining the situation, how it affects you and, and how to move forward from it, how your consciousness, how your consciousness decides to move forward with it. Okay. Okay. So some, some, yeah. some parallels for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. a little bit different in, in that, you know, thing about EMDR is, all I had to do was write down a name for that memory. And I never had to describe another fucking thing about it. No, I had to describe an image that I had. That was it. Yeah. To the therapist. Yeah. I never had to get into it. 
the rest of it was internal and then he does his thing and, and whatever right so that was pretty cool because even writing down a name for it and i was like i was i was messed up already right so yeah and by the end of that though by the end of it i just said i can't believe that i just sat and had this frank of a conversation about it without balling up but yeah. be honest with you right because that's how bad it was so i'm proud yeah. of you I'm proud yeah. of you, you man bro. thank you man thank you thank you thank you so listen um we've now killed well over an hour and <laughs> um this episode i'm gonna it's gonna be out on thursday if anybody's still listening hey guys i don't know if i told you about this sean jared and i from blacklist we got yeah. this thing that we're doing together i put together a little promo fucking thing just just tonight before you and i started talking or before I, just shortly before that we're calling it black ash you know the ash is awesome and blacklist to get together I'm going to have to get you on there, man, for a conversation. So this Friday, I'm bringing a co-host. He's bringing a co-host so we can iron out the technical shit that we know is going to come up, right? Never done a live feed like this, but it's going to be a live feed every Friday night, 9 p.m. or 9 p.m. Eastern Standard, 6 p.m. Pacific, and, you know, all the shit in between, right? So definitely worth checking out. You should check it out, bro, if if you're you're free on Friday night to to do that. Um, I'm looking forward to some... It's just some conversations, much like we're doing now with a few different creators. You know what I mean? And just just have some some disagreements, some agreements. Our bouncing off point this week is going to be how long do you identify as an addict? And then, right? So you, Ooh. right? Right? See, you want in on that wow. conversation, don't you? Right? That, oh, my God. <laughs> right? That is a heavy yeah. topic. Ah, you know what? I did it once before um, with Dan, actually, from Hard Knocks. He came on my show yeah. on a weekend ramble, and we had the discussion I want to do it again. I've evolved a lot in the four or five months since then, right? So um, the show's evolved a lot of production. I think we were still doing just audio back then even. So now, you know, I can, you know, this is a whole different thing. And with different people, you're going to have a whole different conversation. And it is, it's a great conversation to have, man, right? You know, so. Yeah, I got my thoughts on that one. I'll bet you do. I'll bet you do, right? So at just a peek behind the curtain, I'm a fan of as long as you need to. I, I prefer the term survivor of addiction than I do addiction addict, right? Because um, it could be a prison in itself, that, that mindset, right? Yeah. Jared is of the opposite mind, opposite opinion. He feels that he's an addict forever. So, and I, our co-hosts, will see what they're, but like, it's going to be a great conversation to have, man. And see, you want to be a part of that now, don't you? Right? See? I, I, and when I introduce myself, if I'm, if, if somebody says, Hey, give us an introduction, I always start out. I'm a person in long-term recovery because, boom, boom. because, you know, at the end of the day, um, at the end of the day, the effects of, of the substance are no longer in my system. What you got on your belt anyway? How long? Uh, four years next month. Fuck good for you, bro. Good for you. Right. Thank I just, you. I just celebrated a year a couple of weeks ago. So yeah. Hell yeah, you know. dude. Congrats. Right? I'm proud so, of you. First day is as hard as the first week. First week is as hard as the first month. First month is as hard as the first year. Every fucking day is one to be proud of, you know? Right? Yeah. Like it's, oh, it's yeah. the way I look at it anyway, you know? So yeah. yeah. Anyway, listen, we could go on for hours here, but at some point I got to put a lid on it. And um, you need sleep. And I do need to sleep. I do need to sleep. And I still got to fucking finish editing that other episode that's due out Ooh. right now. <laughs> Oops. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, no. Um, that brings us to my favorite part of the show, and that is the Daily Gratitudes. Today's Daily Gratitudes are brought to you by Revolution Recovery, helping men recover and become the best selves through support and treatment. They've been there, and they understand. 
So you got some gratitudes for us today, Sean? Oh, I do, man. I do. I am so grateful to be alive, first and foremost. I couldn't right. say that right. four years ago. I am grateful to have income where I can take care of myself. And I'm grateful for healthy relationships. Awesome. Awesome. That's three really good ones, you know. Um, myself, you know, I, I like to share a couple as well. The opportunity I have to be here in Thailand and living this new life and addressing the shit that has been crippling me for way too long, right? I am so grateful for that. Um, grateful to a family that, that took me back in. Grateful to every single friend that took me back in, man. I was, almost everybody that's got anything to do with the show, I have known for 20, 25, 30 years. When I got back into Calgary after years of being an asshole out in Regina, every single person in my life was like, welcome back, you know, and just no questions asked, 100% support. I got a support network that is huge. And now through the show, it's even that much bigger. Speaking to that, <laughs> my final gratitude, as always, goes out to each and every one of you, watchers, listeners, and supporters. What you guys are doing is amazing. The show keeps blowing up. Keep liking, commenting, smashing that button, the subscribe button. I don't know where it is. I always point to, to it wrong, so now I'm just going to do this every time. You know how it is trying to fucking manage that. Yeah, just wherever. Just smash, smash all the buttons. Hell with it, right? In one of these anyway. directions. <laughs> Somewhere in the vicinity. Anyway, um, every time you guys do any one of these things, you're getting me a little bit closer to living my best life. My best life is to make a humble living spreading the message. The message is this. If you're in active addiction right now, today could be the day. Today could be the day that you start a lifelong journey. Reach out to a friend, reach out to a family member, call into detox, go to a meeting. I don't give a shit what you gotta do. Just get that journey started because it is so much better than the alternative. And if you have a loved one who's suffering an addiction right now, who's taking the time to listen to our show, if you could just take one more minute, text that person, let them know they are loved. Use the words. You are loved. That little glimmer of hope just might be the thing that brings him back. There we go. That's a wrap. That was good. My body's getting cold. My life is running low. Scared to go